when we looked at and Tom had done those specs and I just thought this has to work <laughs> you know you kind of look at it and go this is our product that's four season arrow and then here's all of the things we consider to be the main competitors and this is what they weigh and this is what bearings they have and this is what spokes they have and these are all the specs that they have it's, it's something that someone else said to us a couple of years into the business which was why would you buy anything else From Escape Collective, this is Overnight Success, the podcast about the entrepreneurs, the personalities, and the passionate people who make up the sport of cycling and the stories behind the icons they've built. There's an undeniable truth that an overnight success takes about 10 years to build, not a single night, as the saying suggests. Almost no one comes up with a winning business idea all at once. And if you're not Peter and Tom Marchment or those around him who created the aftermarket wheel brand Hunt, you might be mistaken that they came out of nowhere. Tom and Peter are brothers who grew up riding in a small fishing village on the Isle of Man. And like most of us at the beginning, cycling was a way just to get around and a source of freedom. That progressed into mountain biking and then cross-country racing and road racing and then time trialing, as you do in the UK. Peter went on to university to get some background in material sciences, while Tom took a degree in ergonomics, which is basically human psychology and physiology applied to design, which admittedly, he didn't like very much. Their paths diverged after university, where Tom started working in a bike shop where he got some industry experience, while Peter went to work at a bank. Peter and Tom have been slowly putting the building blocks of their steadfast aftermarket wheelset business together for nearly a decade now, all starting with an online store called The Inner Tube Shop, started back in 2013. Here's Peter and Tom Marchment, who both started at The Inner Tube Shop, telling us about how Hunt began. I kind of got into riding through Tom riding first, so maybe because he's older, obviously, but right. <laughs> um, well, the very early stages of it, actually, there's another brother in the middle, Andrew, who's uh, between the two of us. Oh, right. And there was a little bike shop in okay. the town that we went to school in that would do like take the kids up in a van to the woods and, and do little downhill runs and stuff. So you guys would do that. I was, well, I was way too scared to do that. And so I never really came <laughs> into any of that sort of stuff. What was the town? Where where you got, where were you guys growing up? Uh, so that was uh, a town called Peel in the Isle of Man. Um, okay. Where, 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 we bo- where we both grew up. Uh, pro- proper yeah. fishing town. Yeah, so. yeah, very, yeah, real little small fishing town. You know, one high school that we went to, we were in the, one of the villages over. But um, yeah, but there was, it was a great place yeah. to ride bikes and to get out because, you know, there was a reasonably safe place. You can get around, you can get around on a bike and, and there was, you know, some good hills and some good plantations where you could go up and people had started to build some, build some mountain bike tracks. So I know those guys started doing that and then... You got into it much more at uni, didn't you, Tom? And, and joined like the the downhill yeah. club, and then when so all mountain biking to begin with for you guys, eh? It was, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, and I think yeah. Tom came back home and worked in a bike shop, kind of when I was seventeen, eighteen. Um, so started to kind of see you riding bikes and stuff, and then when I went to uni, got a, got a mountain bike and started doing some sort of cross country riding and things like that, and that's kind of how it how it started for me. I kind of really picked it up from Tom, and then. Definitely came in through the mountain bike side, but definitely yeah. not kind of the style of riding that most of us are doing now. And I probably picked up now, which is more of sort of like trail enduro riding. But back then it was much more, yeah, you know, lots of short travel, hard tails, 
just going over the mountains. So, and tell fun. me how the inner tube shop came about. I've never heard of this before. Um, it was mentioned. Yeah, to me so that's actually, yeah the very first bit of the business that I started. So I, I when I finished university, I I went back to Atlanta. I worked in a bank. And you were taking like earth sciences, judging yeah. by your, your LinkedIn yes. profile. Like nothing to do with design well, I, or I kind of came into or... it to a my, my university course is a bit a bit odd, but basically you could do lots of different modules. So I ended up doing quite a bit of material science. You spent the summer at Queen Queen Mary University, didn't you, Pete? Growing carbon nanotubes yeah, in a lab or Yeah, so I did a little bit of work on sort of composites type stuff um whilst I was whilst I was at university as well. Um but yeah, ended up ended up then working yeah. in a bank um just as kind of a a decent job to get Tom and I to chop the breeze about sort of kind of business ideas quite a bit and inner tubes were something which felt firstly like actually quite hard to understand. I actually didn't understand how the sizing of tires and inner tubes worked until I started that business because you know there's three different types of systems for how you size it. The number that's written on the size of your rim isn't actually the size size of inner tubes that you want. <laughs> you know it was complete nonsense. Yeah. Um, so looking at that and then looking at, you know, the, frankly, the prices that were, people were being charged for something that I knew from talking to Tom, you know, you could buy those for, you know, pretty much a dollar each if you went to the supplier right. directly. So looked at that and thought there's an opportunity here to make this a lot simpler and a lot more effective for people. And, and that's really where that business came about. So it was, you know, you could buy a pack of inner tubes for, 10, uh, 10 pounds for five inner tubes, get them sent through to you in the post, small enough to fit through your letterbox. But also the information on that website and the way we dealt with the customer service made it really easy for people. So, you know, we actually ended up getting a lot of um, people coming through, not just getting support on how to, you know, what bike in tubes to buy or how to change them, but, you know, you get people who get in, trying to get tubes for their kids' bikes that are in weird sizes, also like mobility scooters and all this all this random stuff. But it was actually really satisfying being able to help wow. people do that process, get them what they needed and get them get them going again on whatever kind of vehicle they were in. So this is in 2013? Yeah, end of 2012. Yeah. Um, uh, just got the website right. up in, I think it was like September 2012. I actually switched the website on to test it or something and then got like two orders. I was like, oh no, I haven't actually got any product yet. <laughs> so I had to, um, had to really? like buy a couple of inner tubes <laughs> for <laughs> yeah, 10 bucks a piece. Somebody <laughs> so that we could actually fulfill the order. <laughs> um, so did that. And that, but, you know, after a couple of years, had a, you know, a business that was uh, enough to kind of have allowed me to quit my job and hired another couple of people part-time to help do the packing and dispatching. And you were d doing this out of an office or some <laughs> yeah, sort of So I actually, or? to save money, I, I moved into Tom's spare room. I did out of Tom's garage, which was very kind of him. <laughs> you know, I think the, the basics of that business, which was really just thinking about what riders need, how to make sure the product suits what they need, and presenting it to people in a way that's really easy to access and to understand, doing it at a fair price is like that's kind of something that's really carried forward through to everything else that we've done since then and the mechanics software kind of systems the business setup that you created there gave us the ability that when i joined you it meant that we could really accelerate because when you start a business you don't realize just how much administration work and like just mm. system setup work you have to do and that would take 
that takes a huge amount of the focus and distraction off. Um, whereas Pete had already done all that. He'd set up a, a, yeah, an ERP yeah. system. He had a working website capabilities. He had accounts set up in the background. Obviously, he had all the kind of the shipping contacts, the in and the out. All of those things that when you start a business, you think you're going to be doing all this stuff to do with, you know, product or marketing, you know, designing. <laughs> like you you spend a huge amount of time looking at Excel spreadsheets and dealing with forms for different authorities. And Peter set up a load yeah. of that stuff. And that was a real basis for how when we started on other projects, it meant that those things, first of all, you learned a lot of that stuff and how to handle it, but also it meant that you don't have to spend your time on that. You can really spend your time on the things that make a mm. difference. So, Tom, how did you come into the business then? I'd done a degree called ergonomics, which is like human psychology and physiology applied to design. I really didn't fancy doing that for the rest of my career. I really enjoyed bikes. So it seemed, seemed a lot yeah. more exciting doing bikes than uh, running experiments on people's interactions with 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 systems for the rest of my life so so i went to the bike show in london with with a cv and just went around and spoke to as many as i could and matt and dame upgrade bikes were really decent so that's the people who own kinesis uk and um dmr bikes they offered me a job and i moved down to the south of england and um and then yeah i got yeah. offered another job um while i sat on a bike ride i met someone called paul a company called i ride and they're the distributors for things like northway speedplay at the time, Eddie Merckx, DeRosa, and things like that. And it was something like quite a cool step up in terms of um, kind of leading all their marketing and, and product sourcing activity. So it sounds like you're you're um, getting a good insight to the, the landscape of the cycling industry and sourcing and marketing and um, uh, distribution and who, who's who. And, um, and Pete, you're getting a good idea of how to run a business, an e-commerce business. And were you getting an insight to the cycling industry doing tubes or was that quite siloed from the rest of what you would end up doing? Um, I suppose a, a little, uh, you know, a fair bit, you know, we were still, you know, still buying stuff from distributors and so chatting to people there, but Tom and I were always talking the whole time. So I, you know, and I, I'd always spent time around, I'd even kind of worked, you know, I'd done some work experience at Upgrade when Tom was there and worked in okay. there. So I, I was always really aware of what was going on in the bike industry and kind of had this idea that maybe I'd go and work in that space at some point. And then, yeah, I think when we then started talking about doing something at a, at a higher level and going into doing wheels, that was, you know, we thought, certainly saw that that was an attempt to really take, take the business forward to something that was, you know, much more than just keeping the lights on, but you know, you can actually build a, you know, build a decent business, but make some products that are really going to make a difference to riders and, and build something that can really be sustained and grow. Whose idea was it? How did the conversation start about maybe we should do some wheels on top of your inner tube shop business? Yeah, I mean, effectively my, my background involved quite a few different wheel um, experiences. So, Obviously at DMR we sourced our own hubs, rims, and wheels. Um, so we knew with their few okay. of the the different suppliers there. And we were also the Reynolds wheel distributor for the UK. Um, but then also I ride I um we had um Fulcrum wheels, um, we had Token who did wheels, we had three T wheels. So there was a fair bit of knowledge of, you know, what what the customer would need and and technical 
elements of the of the wheel building and you know i looked at that and i just thought i knew what pete was creating as a business capability um so i thought you know i'll go and join pete we said we'd quite like to create a business that serve riders really well with we use the term kind of devoted riders it's, it's not meant to be kind of elitist or anything it's more about the fact that if you're if you're devoted you're someone who'll take the time to really research the product and mm. probably rides enough and cares enough about that to really take the time to find out the information they need to make a good decision within that we were looking and going these riders they can probably see the benefit things like um higher spec bearings like triple butted spokes but also that they're, they're probably someone who quite often will fit their own wheels will do their own mechanicing generally what was happening in wheels at the time was most of the way products seemed to be being created was you would you know there would be the the halo racing level product that a brand has created and that got all of the attention and all of the engineering effort and innovation and then all of the other products that sat below that in the range that was cheaper was mainly made by taking features away from the top tier product. Mm. So it was a product that was created by taking things away rather than building it up from scratch. And that was how we wanted to do things mm. completely differently. And that was what was so exciting and appealing is, you know, like a lot of businesses in, in bike stuff, you kind of looked at things and went, what's the product that we want to ride? for our own riding. I want to buy a wheel that's the best for all year round riding on my rim brake bike. I might then also have a wheel that's the best wheel I can buy for road racing and that's lightweight and includes, you know, you just focus and go, okay, right now, how do we, how do we work and engineer design uh, or select or specify each of the components of that bill to match the purpose, the best it can be. And the price ends up being the price. It's not a case of, or we'll set the price, it has to be this price. It's how do you select mm. the right components? And we knew so many different suppliers. And of course, within elements of that, you're having to specify, you're also having to design certain elements that don't, because you don't have the available components. And, and then really building that, much like you know a wheel builder would, for, but what we're doing was for a group of riders with a specific purpose and then designing that wheel for them. When we looked at it and Tom had done those specs, and I just thought, this has to work. <laughs> you know, you kind of look at it and go, well, this is what, you know, it sounds really boring, but yeah, you know, we put it in a spreadsheet and went, this is our product at four season arrow. And then here's all of the things we consider to be the main competitors. And this is what they weigh. And this is what bearings they have. And this is what spokes they have. And these are all the specs that they have and the internal weight and are they tubeless compatible and all this kind of stuff. And you went, you know, it's, it's something that someone else said to us a couple of years into the business, which was, why would you buy anything else? At that point, when you had no brand that meant anything to anybody, you just, you know, we created a name, we created a logo, but you, you know, no, that had no cachet to anybody else. You had to stand on what that, you have to stand on what that product is going to do for someone. And it went, well, yeah, even without that, why would, why would you buy another product when this one does what it ticks all of those boxes and does all of those things so well? And that's, that's kind of what was the culture that we've got to go for it because I know that that product is more attractive and it's, what I would want to buy more than anything else about there. So w w what's the next step? You know, um, you have you have a spreadsheet of a specced out product. You would have put a lot of thought into it, as you just mentioned. What's next? How do you 
do you just start ordering from different suppliers that you had in your your your, your contact list, Tom? Or where do you get them built? Do you have to make a trip to China or Taiwan or whatever or wherever these are manufactured? What do you what do you do at this point? I'd spend years going out to Taiwan already um, with both Upgrade and okay. R-Ride. Um, really, the, the main thing was to go and visit um, suppliers. And actually, the the specification of the products we wanted weren't didn't necessarily already or all exist. We had to go and work on those. Um, for example, the full season disc, which was at the time just I think it was the year the year the GT grade first came out because that was 2016, and I think we were specking these wheels in 2015. We had a, a range of three rim brake wheels, um, a race aero, race aero wide, and a full season aero, and they say say what they do, you know, do what they say on the tin, yeah. um, and yeah. they were. All had to be tubeless, ready. You had to have triple cross spokes or had high end bearings. Um, so the, the the key element there is it's a pretty complicated supply chain. Just if you take one wheel, you have a rim tape supplier, a valve supplier, a spoke and nipple supplier. Um, you have a, a rim supplier, a hub supplier. You might deal with the bearing supplier separately. Um, and then you have a wheel builder. Thank you. Um, as you... Sorry, at that point. Oh, QRs, yeah, well, that point. QRs, yeah, that's <laughs> and a box. There's different supply yeah. for that. So if you just look at yeah. one product, you've effectively got nine different suppliers there. So we would go and meet every single one of those. And of course, if you've got a range of wheels, you may have different suppliers for all of those. So, for example, at the moment, I think we have how many different Taiwanese aluminium rim suppliers, Pete? Maybe five or six, something like that. So you're going out to just under a dozen suppliers. You you order these. How how many do you remember ordering? How many sets of wheels th- or parts? I think we ordered. I think we had to do um, something like a few hundred wheels on the first order, which is quite scary because P and I, you know, we didn't have like super high paying jobs or anything. We were pretty basic standard salary jobs before this. So you know. Thank God our wives worked in the NHS and had good. My my wife is a midwife and yours is as, as doc junior doctor at the time. And thank goodness we had some basic backup in the background and we'd saved some money up. And how are you going to go to market with these? How are you going to tell people about them? How uh, they were going to buy them direct to consumer? Was OEM also part of the plan? So Don Mason, who founded Kinesis UK, at the same time as I joined Pete, he'd already started work on mason cycles um and obviously we knew each other really well and we'd worked together well good friends um and he said you know i I can't actually i actually worked with him on bike specking and also doing some business planning margin modeling um for him and he'd done he designed the hunt logo for us which we really appreciate did an amazing job with that and he was specking a full season, a full season disc brake road bike because that was, you know, Kinesis. He created it, full season winter training bikes had been a, a really big thing. He kind of nurtured as a as a scene in the UK for serious races, um, and so he wanted something that was a versatile rounder, and he needed a wheel set to do that. And we were looking at it, and you know, fairly simply, mountain bike background. We already had mountain bike twenty nine wheels. That were 15, 1600 grams, which took disc brakes and tubeless. Like, why? Why are the road disc brake wheels all twice, you know, 50% more expensive and two or 300 grams heavier? Didn't make any sense. So we went out and we 
worked on that specification. Obviously, that relationship with, with Dom and, and Mason Cycles for us, it wasn't about how do we do loads of volume. It was about how how does that help us make better wheels for the customer. But but the initial plan was direct to consumer. Then it was, and we were, and you guys were going to use the Inner Two Shop, uh, what the database and website, and switch that over to help you get a running start. Or a bit that really the main the main aim. And we we always knew we'd do offer trade uh, discount as well. Um, so, yeah. um, but really it was. Um, I, I had some fairly good relationships with, you know, very good relationships with very decent, you know, hardworking journalists who, you know, at the end of the day, journalists are just like us and just like most of the people listen to this podcast. They love riding and they love how bike improvements in bike technology and gear can make that riding experience more fun and exciting. And so having those relationships where we were able to go and say, this is what we're trying to do for the rider. These, this this is the technical information, uh, and it was great because obviously Pete's background, you know, having such an understanding of metals and and also and um, and crystallized structures and interactions of how you know this spoke might perform better for this outcome, this rim alloy might be better for that. This is why this type of bearing might be the best thing for that. That was the way. That was really good because I mean, we had some really good technical information we could share about how we we spec the product. And just communicated with journalists, mm. and they they liked the product. They told people about the new specs when we launched. Um, people like you know yourself and the background of those types of journalists. Um, I remember. I think I've got a set that I absolutely love on my <laughs> I ride every day on my computer. It's great. So you you said you launched, but um, so what happened to the InnerTube shop when you launched, and how did that transition take place? So so we actually kept it running for quite a while afterwards, I think till probably like maybe 2016-ish, something like that. I saw your Facebook page yeah. and it was still updates and stuff, I think up into 2017. Yeah, we were for quite a while because it was, it was good business and for it was providing an important income stream and it was doing, you know, still competing well in that, in that market. And then we closed it down in the end. One, we had like fairly limited space and then the tubes took up a lot of space. <laughs> And some other websites have started to compete a little bit more. So it was a it was a little bit tougher going. Like, you know, we probably had to like squeeze the margin a little bit more to make sure we could yeah. still be competitive. So it wasn't making as as good a margin and we just thought although we like it and we think it's a really good business and still has a future, the work we would need to do to like get it competitive again wasn't worth it versus the work we could be doing on doing on hunt. So we just decided to kind of sell down yeah. and clear it out. And how did the name Hunt come about? And what were some of the other ones that you were tossing up at the time? I'm glad you've asked about names because coming up with names for stuff feels like to me like one of the hardest bits of like creating a new product or a new brand, which is why all yeah. of the Hunt product names are so descriptive. Like that's why it is race zero wide, partly to help the customer understand what that is for. That is definitely part of it. But also because trying to come up with actually a set of names for every different product just takes so much time <laughs> and it's so frustrating. The the, es- the essence we were trying to capture was the idea of hunting or searching through all of the the details of the product to make it the best that it can be. You know, going right down into the tiniest little specs of the material you use on the springs for the QR that 
you know, you're using a stainless yeah. steel instead of a standard steel so that you don't get rusty QR springs, which you know, I've had on so many wheels that I've had over the years before we started this, that, you know, that was a frustrating thing. So it was those, that level of little detail that we were looking for. I think at one point we were like settled on Strive and then I did the old trademark search and realized that there was a, I was like, oh, I can't mm. even have a bike called the Strive, can't do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, yeah. and then, and then I think, you know, Zorus.com on Strive and then Hunt came up and I was like, oh yeah, that, that's, that was cool. And, and we chatted it, Tom and I chatted it through and felt like it could be an English surname. A lot of people thought our surname must have been Hunt for a while. Yeah. And the funny yeah. thing I think with brand names is like, you think so much about them and then actually the name becomes defined by who you are as a business rather than the other way around. And it's only really for that very mm. first part where the name defines your business and afterwards your business really defines your name. And so you can mm. come up with the best brand name in the world, but actually what matters is how you run your business and how you create your products and how you look after your customers. Yeah. That then defines how people will feel about that name. Hunt are best known for their wheels, of course, but after years of my interactions with people within the company, their emails were always signed off from the rider firm identity. I never really thought too much about it until I was researching this podcast and found out that the business was actually an umbrella that included many other product lines and brands other than wheels. We're talking about various apparel brands, a gravel bike brand, and even a mountain bike. We talked about the rider firm as a name, um, and we had Sarah was the first person who started who started working with Peter in the tube shop and showed it was the second person that really good people. Sarah was a rider as well, really into mountain biking. Um and the 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 next person that joined us was Josh um Ibbert, who um he's he's relatively well known in the ultra distance racing mm. bike racing scene, um, having won a few events, had seconds and podiums and quite a few others as well. Um I'd worked with him at iRide, he'd been at USE. Um, lights before that um, and he, he left I ride and then after riding his bike for a bit we were chatting and um, he came and joined us in May April or May 2015 um, so just after we'd launched Hunt and then he actually rode the TCR the Transcontinental Race his second time he'd got second the year before when he was still working at I ride. He, he was using our wheels which was really great um, and he had a you know obviously we had a really good relationship with Don Mason, so he rode a Mason bike, um, and he won the transcontinental race that year, and that was really good. And that was also another element of one of the way in the ways we started out. The fact that we were all trying to be like that, to have that passion, that excitement, and be in depth with the product. And so, you know, people like Josh talking to us about what they're seeing right at the kind of the cutting edge of riding, and that's why we came up with the gravel wheel set in 2016 when. A specific gravel wheel set when other people weren't really thinking like that. It's just higher spoke counts, wider rim, make sure it's tubeless cut or make sure it's got um, durable, you know, well sealed bearings and little details like that. That you know, really, there weren't that many wheels out like out there like that. Well, the the transcontinental race, the TCR, is I guess relatively niche, but in that world, it's a big thing. Yeah, and to win that would have been a big thing for mm. you guys. I imagine that would have been a huge. Uh, testimonial and in that community, did you feel like you got traction within that community and, and legitimacy and street cred quite quickly after that? Or yeah, how did that result? Def- definitely. And, you know, really, really appreciate Josh being a part and he still, still works with us. Um, he is effectively 
full time at, at his ultra racing now, but he still works with us a couple of days a week, helping communicate about that area and brand manage the we call it beyond um, riding, which is that kind of sector of riding. So ultimately, they need slightly different product to what's out there. You know, different bikes, different wheels. Um, and you know, people like Apigura have obviously done an amazing job of serving that market. And, and you're you do loads of that type of riding now, don't you? You don't do the events, but you and Deepti go out and do, you know, quite a few adventures. You've done done a big. You did a massive New Zealand adventure a few years ago, didn't you? Where you went out into the wilderness for several days. Yeah, yeah. We did. I mean, that, that's kind of our our not all of our holidays, but yeah. our main holiday is, is going riding, which is really nice. And yeah. and yeah, like using so, and I think that's that's an important part of it is just using and understanding the product. Not because I want to do it as part of my job, but just because I enjoy doing it, and that's the kind of riding we want to do. So, and I think that that riding that Josh did, and um, you know, the sort of riding he does, and then the the people that he's brought in as as riders for us as well, is so useful for for us to push the product forward and find the. Yeah, find the limits of what of what what the product can do, and then work out how to improve and get past and get better again. So the first changes we made to a gravel product were quite simple. It was a higher spoke count. It was a wider rim bed. Um, that was the main things we were doing. But as we've gone through, like we've really evolved our understanding of what those products need to be as that range has filled out. And now you know we have aero gravel products and much wider internal widths and those things so that whatever kind of race you're trying to or event or riding you're going to do on it we've got something that will serve serve that purpose and we'll do it you know and ideally the aim is that that's the best product available for what you're trying to do with it In 2017, Tom and Peter received a pretty large bump in media attention and product development by hiring the Italian aerodynamics engineer, Luisa Grapponi. We were really, really kind of excited when Luisa sent us a, an email um, and, and said, Look, I'm excited by what you guys are doing. She's working in Campagnolo um, and she'd previously been at 3T. And I think she'd quite appreciated the time she'd had at 3T being a smaller business you know, looking, innovating. That was her first job in the bike industry after working at BAE as a consultant for a consultant company to a BAE project um, for aerospace type work, aeroplanes. And then, and she said, look, I'm really excited about what you guys are doing. I'd like to, can, can we speak? And yeah, she came over and spent the weekend with us and we had a really good time. Met obviously Ollie and Josh and Sarah and Shirley and, and the rest of the team we had here. And, you know, we just thought, Let's give it a go. And Pete, and up till that point, Pete and I had not earned really any money out of the business. Um, so, and, and we were like, okay, we might have some salary. We might be able to pay ourselves after like you'd started the business four or five years ago. But what we'll actually do is we'll cut that pretty much in half and pay Louisa well, <laughs> some <laughs> of that, <laughs> and then take some more money out of the business. And we go right. Let's do this because we thought there's a really good opportunity yeah. to really go to that next level because we looked at. You know, people like Zip, rightly, had gone, aerodynamics is a hugely important part. And obviously, we had some relatively aerodynamic wheels in terms of depth, in terms of spoke selections, but we hadn't really had the um, the capability to really go, okay, it, it's a big investment to, to try and learn that knowledge that mm. delivers a faster wheel. Whereas Louisa had already been through that with, she tested with Surveillance Test Team, um, Movistar, D 
developed wheel shapes at, at Campagnolo and at 3T. And she had tested a lot of competitors, so she knew what worked. Um, I think when we started, totally understandably, Louisa was like, okay, well, we'll do something quite like what everyone else is doing. And then we sat down and had a conversation and said, okay, well, imagine if we did something that was completely different, as in you've got no restrictions. You don't have to do what the distributor will accept or the bike shop will mm. buy because it's not scary. What would happen if we did that? What And and effectively, we ended up with some shapes out of that work, which were considerably wider than the shapes in terms of aerodynamic um, performance when you've got a, tr- a leading edge of a 28 millimeter tire, which was the, the trend and the movement there, even though most of the manufacturers were focusing on 25 millimeters as an aerodynamic racing basis, tire basis. Um, what what would what should the, the following shape be from that tire to maximize aero performance for a bicycle racing wheel and tire combination? And there, there was a couple of things in it that you know you you Tom's touched on one there, which was the width of the tire that you were building around. And we'd seen from our conversations, actually from our partnership with um, a UK professional team, which was Canyon DHB their riders had all started to ride 28 mil tires on crit races and stuff. So we knew that they were seeing the benefits of that. They were like, right, well, we could optimize this around 25, but actually we think 28 is the right way to go to optimize this, which they now hopefully feels like it was, seems like it was the right call. Um, but the mm. other, the other thing was that, that we were focusing on a disc brake product as well. And there, there were carbon aerodynamic disparate rims out there but pretty much all of them were based on even if they were a disc specific profile they were based on the principles and the restrictions and that apply when you're having to make a rim break and when we took that restriction out and really focused on making a disc brake product as fast as it could be we could make something that looked far different and was much wider and at a much higher point in the in the wheel depth. And, and we sat, that was on the first weekend Louisa came over, we were having this conversation and we kind of all got together and went, yeah, there's a real opportunity. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a meeting of minds and we really like a really creative discussion and we went, there's an opportunity here just for the first product that we could do. You know, there's a whole load of things we could go and get started that we went on to work on together. But it felt like straight away we're like this is something we can do this is a wheel that we can do that we think can be you know can be the fastest wheel in the world for what it's supposed to be used for and that's what we ended up doing which was really fun um, and was a really enjoyable project to have taken through and we so we were effectively yeah. everybody else's wheels were under 30 millimeters wide at that point and we we came out with a 34 millimeter wide wheel um, yeah because aerodynamically that was the best wheel, especially when she took into account the different wind average drag. We use the Maverick Mavic wind average drag that you know looks at the different yaw angles you're likely to experience on a, a general road race um, ride. But that means that you, we, we were using effectively an independent um, measure for that, which was really important to us. Um, and yet we were the first people to release that. And then we did get an order from um, Specialized in Morgan Hill off our first batch on the website. Yeah. So we, yeah. so we we did actually send them an email and say, hi, thanks for ordering the wheels. No problem, we'll ship them to you. Um, now, I think they were already working on something, but about 
10 months later, they released the Rovar Rapide with a 34 millimeter front wheel, which is... Do they not even try to hide that <clears throat> it's a specialized uh, order? <laughs> no, they didn't, which is, I think, you know, I suppose if you're going to do it, they... Yeah, just try yeah. and be open. We thought we and might as well think... send it because they could only order it from someone else without putting specialized on it. So we might yeah, as well we let didn't them see any it. point stopping them having it. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, and so obviously, you know, a load of a load of their their riders went on with one huge stage, you know, events on, on on their wheel. Which is, to be honest, we we respect what they do. They actually um, did did some did some interesting things, um, and, and we we've learned from them as well because obviously we're we're competitive. We we we've tested their product for our foot future development each time, uh, and so. That competition pushes the product up for the rider and yeah. makes the product better. We were re- really determined to be really open about how how we tested it and how we validated the performance of it. And wind tunnel testing, you know, has its limitations, but is still the best, most repeatable way of reliably assessing a developing product and assessing how how they perform against each other without you know, without a lot of uncertainty that comes into measurements that then when you start to do real world testing, which has its validity as well, we put the data from the tunnel into a white paper that we shared with people and we put our competitors' data in there as well and showed how we performed against it. And till that point, really no one had done that. The bigger brands would put if they did release wind tunnel data, it would always be against their own previous product which is not really a useful com- comparator for the rider. And what we wanted to do was actually help the rider. And, and and we were happy to put that out there, even if it wasn't, we didn't come out on top. This podcast is fully funded by our members at Escape Collective. In fact, all of our content on our website and our podcast network is 100% supported by our members who believe that cycling media should be independent from the sport and industry we cover. And that we should exist to serve you rather than live or die by our ability to be a platform for the sole purpose of selling you more stuff. If you enjoy this podcast or any of our other work and believe in our mission of independence, please go to escapecollective.com join and become a member today. Thank you for your support. I find it fascinating that you, I didn't know you guys did a gravel e-bike and arguably you were the first or one of the first out there in 2017? Yeah. No, no. Yeah, we... we uh, 2018. Yeah, we, we were the... Obviously, as we've just discussed, gravel bikes only really started to exist in 2016. I think it was 2016 the GT grade came out. Maybe. But effectively, we saw that Going out and riding with whether it's with your friends, with your family members, or whether you're going to work, whether you're going to the shops, <clears throat> we felt that there really is an opportunity for riders to get in cars less often and get out on their bike more often. And we felt that something that encouraged people to, instead of riding their bike to work, two or three days a week and then using the car, the others, because they were tired, something that allowed them to do that five days a week that used effectively a lot less CO2 and get you out in the outdoors and exercising for five four or five days a week or going on that ride with your friends, even though you hadn't been able to do as much training as they had. And we felt that gravel was an area where that could really help people. Um, and hmm. we felt that over time, there's a, there's a, you know, there's, a, there's definitely an area 
we, we felt it was only going to become more popular for people. And we were the first people in the world, as you say, to offer an e-gravel bike. And um, I think we were featured on German television after a Eurobike show because of that. That that sounds feels like a big investment. Um, is it as big as I'm thinking, or was it actually quite straightforward for you guys? I think probably Pete and I have been a little bit naive in terms of the cost of time and the cost of <laughs> other people in terms of I, good people, but you bring them into the business. But that does create, it mean you do have to focus and, and put effort into that. So I think that's probably something we've learned over the last three or four years that we probably didn't know in 2017, 2018. Which yeah, is, we did. We tried to be pretty lean in terms of, and I think we were pretty lean in terms of the investment, you know, the cash investment you have to make on sampling and product development, that side of things. We'd always been but aware of that. Do re- yeah, but what you do, is it, it does take in a lot of time from what you're doing. Um that you have to be you have to be focused on. So I think moving forwards, we probably are not going to be for a, a reasonable while expanding our offering in terms of in terms of um, having other key product areas that we go into outside of Hunt, Ken, and Privateer. And obviously, we also have to. Well, yeah, that. let's let's talk about Privateer. Uh, when, when was Privateer launched? This is another uh, 2020. This is another thing I didn't even know you guys did. Uh, another bike and a, a full suspension mountain bike to boot, right? Yeah, like- yeah. Um, <laughs> and we've, you know, we've had some some really nice um, results with that. You know, we've had some some really top in EWS results. Um, Matt Stottard, who started working with us um, from the, from the beginning of Privateer, he actually came on as Hunt, and the Hope team he was racing for closed down over Christmas, and um, of 2018 or 2019, and we, we were already looking at working on a, um, an enduro bike spec because we felt that this was an area that hadn't moved forwards for, um, for, for the rider. We eventually coined the, the term privateer because it meant so much to us as riders, as the brand name. We already had the DH privateer wheel in the hunt range, and it was about the rider who you know, really does research, probably does their own mechanicing often. It's born in how do you make that product serviceable long-lasting, durable, all things that nowadays are meant to uh, obviously good from an, um, a sustainability point of view, but we were looking at them originally, just how do we make the cust- the rider's life um, the best it can be with this product for as long as it can be, having spare parts in stock and having an aluminium frame and having the best performance that you can have. Um, those types of things is where Privateer came from. And yeah, we, we worked on that with one of the best um engineers uh, uh, available that we you know we we kind of linked up with a guy called Ali Beckett who designed Sam Hill one of your um fa- mm-hmm. famous mm-hmm. and awesome bike riders from Australia um he'd he'd ridden two of the bikes that Ali had worked on with the team at Nukeproof obviously he left Chain Reaction um and Nukeproof that year and and the, we we linked up with him and thought we we can we can see the opportunity um in the market and what the customer needs Let's see if we can make the best possible bike for for that privateer rider. Um, I did it and launched it, and, and yeah, we we got quite a few pre-orders, and that sold very well. I have to say though, um, the bikes side of our business during COVID, we've had obviously everybody gets a large amount of demand during COVID, but we already had we would already sell out our bikes before before COVID happened. We'd sell out our bikes before they'd land, and it, oh, it was really good. Um, but we were, they were still very small businesses at that point. Um, and then, mm-hmm. of course, the supply chain 
and became a very challenging place to operate in uh, during COVID. Really, we we got some supply of bikes during COVID, um, and we sold everything we could get. Um, but we're you know we're, we're kind of having to we kind of almost had to allow our suppliers to get back to normality before we could do some of the key development work we wanted to do. Um, some of it we did do, but it took a lot longer than we'd hoped it would. Yeah, timing-wise, so. it was kind of unfortunate in that like, really probably both brands were at a point where they were just starting to get that bit of early momentum. And then, yeah, you just got like, supply just almost grinds to a halt for a while. You have to almost do a little bit of a, a restart on them with the next era of product that you want to yeah. do, um, and so that's that's been a, that's been a challenge to get that to where we are. But I think we're in a place where you know we've actually got some really good product going to come through on that, and we and we're really excited to get get those bikes out to people and when they're when they're here soon. Another big milestone, which had I don't know if it was fortunate or unfortunate timing, but in, in 2020 you guys expanded to to Boulder. Yeah. Um, yeah. Got into the US market. It was that um uh timing of COVID and the heightened demand a good thing for you to be able to get a foothold there or did it I was a, a, was bit, a, of a bit of a wild time because actually we Lost the crazy. timing of it <laughs> was we were looking to we knew we wanted to expand in the US. Um, that was a really important part of the plan. And we'd spoken to a few people. We put adverts out and we'd we hired um interviewed for people to be our, you know, the market manager for the USA so to run the US company. And we'd settled on a guy called Sam Johnson. We hadn't fully made like a final offer, but we're like, you're the preferred candidate. So we we set this up and we and then we had this trip planned over in March. <laughs> 2020 um, to, mm-hmm. to, to go spend a couple of weeks. We were going to go to the Hamid bike show in Dallas. We'd gone to uh, uh, an event in North Carolina and then we, and we were going to go to Boulder um, to meet Sam. We did the, did the event in North Carolina. We went, we flew out over and I was sort of saying, this looks a bit, this is starting to look a little bit sketchy here. I'm not sure how this trip's going to go, <laughs> you know. And we, and we took the flight from, uh, Charlotte to Boulder uh, to Denver, and I think we landed and thought, "Well, let's can the rest of the trip." Nav has been cancelled, so we're not going to go to that. We, we'll have to skip this other bit of the trip. So we'll we'll rebook a flight for like three days' time, and and get home. Then we got up the next morning, and we're looking at the news, and we're like, "I think we need to book a flight home tonight." Wow! <laughs> but we we got we got to a bike shop in boulder with sam for an hour and a half to like just meet face to face and we were planning to spend like three days with him and we got an hour and a half together yeah, but really we knew he was the right guy to be working with um and i think we came you know we got home and then we're just dealing with just like total chaos like you know yeah. offices had to be shut down everyone's gone home we're on a zoom call with everybody yeah, yeah. working through all that it was and and then you have the thing that went went to lockdown and just like sales went in half overnight. Yeah, this was you. You asked us about some of the hardest times and total panic. And, <laughs> all of the yeah, like the responsibility you feel to the people that you you know you bring into your business um, is just huge. You know, and the. The hardest times were are when you worry that you can't pay people. The hardest times are when you are looking at the cash flow and trying to work out 
and that's happened several times and that was that was the scariest time because there was just no answer and we and we'd never mm. seen anything like that you yeah you, know, you see certain times where your sales aren't maybe what you would expect but just like overnight they were cut in half and we just thought did you fear for the business at that point yeah yeah we we, we literally yeah. we, we thought you know we've got six or eight weeks of this that we can survive with sales at this level because we're just done and it, this is what should have been our best mm. sales period of the year because March, you know April. that's for us spring June, spring is when we do yeah, the March, best April, and, and so that was yeah we spoke to sam and sort of said don't think you should probably take this job. I think you should probably stay with your job in Shimano. Yeah, I, I, but I really – and I was like, Sam, you've got two kids. You should not be taking this. We're not going to take the job offer away from you because we wouldn't want to do that. But do you really think you should be leaving Shimano and coming to work for us at this point in the in the economic world and COVID world? And we're like – and he said, guys, I'm, I really believe in what you guys are doing. So massive appreciation to Sam Jay. Um for for take, for going with us on, on that and and but yeah, I'm going to be honest. I was crying quite a lot looking at what you know the outcomes might be, and it sounds silly and like over the top. It's only a business, but you care about the people who work in your business. And obviously, four or five weeks later, it's completely different in going the other direction yeah. because everybody had started riding their bikes. <laughs> yeah, still around that ride for three and a half years, and we're still oh, on yeah on that, and we're on the tail end the of that ride now of, of that of that ride still. Um, so Just, yeah, it's been that whole journey over the last three years has been quite an experience. There was another big milestone for you guys in there as well in 2021 when you guys sponsored Quebec Assos, yep. a world tour team, yeah. Yeah. which is huge for you guys, I imagine. What? How did that come about? Why? Did you want to do that? And yeah, yeah, it was and, massive. And, and I mean, where did it go? Yeah, L- Louisa had a contact and an Italian uh, for, through her Italian cycling network, and she said, "Ah, oh, these guys are are up for." A, you know, obviously, they'd been on Envy um, that year in 2020, and but things were changing, and um, we had a chat with Doug Ryder, and 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 we thought, you know, this is something we we can do. We have the limitless wheel. We have some of the best aerodynamics and engineering. We have a capability, you know, we had a team, product team and engineers that we could could really serve them. And, and we always look at the way we support our pro riders in the same way that we look at our end customers. We have to provide that extremely good level of customer service and technical backup because we want them to be happy in the same way that we want our end customers to be happy. And so, yeah, we, we went with it. And it's obviously a, a relatively big commitment, um, but we, we, really, we really felt like we could we could deliver them some some wheels that could perform extremely well. And they were very pleased with them. Um, How many sets of wheels do you have to provide a world tour team like that? It's a scary number. I won't necessarily go into it into too much detail. Um, but yeah, and and it's not it's, it's more not than free you might either. think. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So was this was this something that um you saw a return on and this was very strategic and would give you street cred in the market you wanted, or was it getting excited like a lot of people do about a world tour team wants to work with us? What was I think it's or was it a bit it's, of both? It, like I think there's a lot of intangible benefits from A, what you learn and B yeah. the excitement you get as people in the industry, the whole company. Yeah. Everybody in the company feels a, a pride at doing being able to serve a team like that with great products in the same way that we do with our yeah. customers. And you know, it was hard because it was during COVID. So you couldn't actually really travel that much. 
Um, yeah. And you couldn't even mm. go and see many of the races, which of course you'd love to do, but you couldn't, you know. Um, but I do remember that Ollie, um, our brand manager at the time, and Paddy Blake, who I mentioned before as well, senior product manager, they they didn't want to go to the team camp so that, that all the riders had the wheels properly set up um, and, and and working really well. So I remember they them saying, so they had to load the van, they had to do loads of COVID documentation. They went over and then they're, I think on the way, so they had a really good week with the team. Um, they'd obviously followed all the COVID protocols on all the documentation they need to do. Uh, on the way back, they're in the van. We've got like a black transit van driving through the French auto routes and they get surrounded by French police cars and they get pulled over and then French armed police get out pointing massive rifles at them. <laughs> they think that they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing, of course. But yeah, they did. So they ended up having to spend... A little bit of time on the side of the road, showing all their documentation. And this is this is the world of COVID <laughs> in Europe. I mean, I imagine you had certain things like that in Australia. It's just by wheels, yeah. And we've got all the documentation. We're allowed to be doing this, but yeah. So there was some <laughs> some slightly crazy um, experiences yeah, that came still, out of that. Still a, mad, um, a slightly mad time of year. But I, I think the thing with that is, we you know you get so much out of it. It pushes the product forward because they test massive. stuff in a way that it's really hard to get out of. And we were really pleased actually how well everything performed when we did that um you know we didn't actually really have many issues at all from from the testing they put that through and so that was a really positive thing and although we're we're absolutely fans and the ability to be a part of that team even though we didn't really get to spend very much time with them at all individually the brands that are there year in year out with world tour teams are not doing it because it's exciting. They're doing it because of what it delivers to their presence in the market and what they can do from product development and how they can bring bring product through. We were always really very pleasantly surprised at how positive Doug was about the relationship. You know, we were always we always felt like we wanted to do better all the time. And Doug was like, "You're so good as a supplier. I love working with you guys." We had some really good time with um, people like Victor Campanart and Simon Clark. Going through at the beginning of the season what they would want, or at the end of the season what they felt about the wheels and their feedback. Seeing Victor Campanarts win on the 48 limitless wheel in the Giro d'Italia, seeing um, Mauro Schmidt win on the 50 card, 50 carbonara disc, and and Nitsolo get finally getting his first win at the Giro d'Italia after all those second places on a set of our wheels, all in the same year, it was just an incredible experience. Yeah, that was that was a, that was the magic race and I, I we still got we've got a photo up in in the customer service office that we call it our rider experience now but, yeah. um, in the rx office from victor and i remember because it was a two up it was a breakaway in in the rain a horrible day and oh, it was a two-up sprint and you can see the difference in the wheels because you can see how much mm. wider the wheel and tire is on victor's Versus the like, Shimano, the narrow the, Shimano wheel, the, the twenty-five millimeter It's surprising how much difference there could be in the equipment, and you can kind of see on that day, you know, there was a death-defying descent in the rain down some horrible roads, and and you know, that ability to run that extra width, that aerodynamic benefit, being able to run a lower pressure, those are some of the things that just added up to have a little little bit of the, of the of making the result and victor yeah, whether you know you know but it's, it's nice to think that you know you've been a part of that and that difference in the product has yeah. been part of you know making a tiny difference there. 
That, that must have felt pretty, pretty incredible with um, where you guys have come from to being spoken in the same breath as Roval and, you know, Campy and all these, yeah, Zip and all yeah. these historic wheel brands. And you guys are in that and you're, you know, winning Grand Tours and, and stuff like the stages in Grand Tours. And how does that make you feel? I don't think we think about it a huge amount. The main thing is I think no one's sitting on their own doing their own thing completely independently. And like, we're actually all building off each other. We didn't invent making carbon wheels. We didn't invent lots of the things that go into our product. And we've all built on the work that other brands and really like talented people have done as they built those brands up. And that's gone into some of the things that we've used to then make things that are better for riders. And some of the things that we've done, the innovations we've taken forward, other people will use and are using to make things better for riders. And ultimately, although we're here to, you know, make make sure we're making a business that, you know, turns a profit and keeps us all in jobs and makes us secure, we're ultimately here to do stuff that makes riders experience better on the bike because that's what keeps us going and that's what allows us to create product that performs better for people. Yeah, and that it, it makes all those you know we, you talked about the RX team before the, the road experience team. You know they're they're communicating with customers in you know in really in depth ways um, and supporting them and having Vitz Campanart's bike on the wall that the team gave us at the end of the year helps us all when we're looking at spreadsheets or answering a customer email or mm. working out some something in the tech team or working out a supply chain issue. You know or Working through some of the toughest times when, you know, cash flow is really difficult, which, you know, is always, you know, we've had some pretty hard times this year. It's, it's not been nice. We had to let some people go at the beginning of this year, really good people. And, you know, so the team was so understanding through that. Those are horrible things to go through. Um, mm. And, you know, everyone was so decent. And I guess those things where we get to do some of the nice things help to help us all to go, okay. That's actually, you know, it keeps us excited and keeps the, you know, the smiles, you know, and, and everybody being like, yeah, this is, this is cool stuff to do. There comes a time when many businesses come to a point where they need to raise money to scale their growth. It's a massive step for a business which starts to get into a whole new world and set of responsibilities when investors get on board. And I wanted to know if and when Hunt got to this point and how they went about it. We wanted to go out and provide an opportunity for people where the you know the appropriate risk that they might want to take was something that the, was affordable and in terms of the regulations that go in the UK as well with raising funds. A bond is a, is a loan to the business rather than a than an equity investment. So, um, so, so we they, they they loan that money to us for three years. We pay them interest over that period, and at the end of the three years, we we can pay them back, or if they want to, they can roll that yeah. over with us. Who helps you with things like this? Because this is this gets um, I've had to go through it myself, and it's it's fascinating, but it also takes a lot of experience and failings yeah. and on my part and that. Who who's helped you with that? That's probably the the where we talk about <clears throat> some of the key people who've come into our business with experience. Um, they they may or may not have necessarily done that, but they often know someone else who has, and that's yeah. where we get that kind of. So it's you know we've got a guy called Daniel Gilborn who 
led who was the um who ran a company called the Cycle Scheme in the UK, and he's he was one of our very first customers for wheels, and he and he also bought a Mason bike from the, one of the very early Mason bike deliveries, um, <clears throat> and he's he's always been a really good like guide for us to help us through things. Um, he 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 has a lot of um, of knowledge of okay, I, I might know someone else will be able to advise you on how that would work and and link us in, and, and often they're people you trust because. You know, if, if he trusts them, then you're in a good, usually you're in a good place. So, um, yeah, so kind of really appreciate that, you know, and it, it all comes through a shared passion for riding bikes. It's a great community, isn't yeah. it? To be able to yeah, one degree from pretty much anything you need. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, and then and so like that. those people say they've been through things like this in bigger businesses. They've been through hard times. Bike mm-hmm. industry had actually been quite stable and sheltered for 10 years. And so, you know they will find we'll find ways through it and you know when we <clears throat> yeah that's kind of how we approach things and try and get best advice on those kind of things where we can and then go ahead and do something that you probably have no idea about how difficult it's going to be anyway <laughs> and then and then find your way through it do you do you credit the uh ignorance's bliss um for being where you are now would you have ever done this if you knew what you were getting into i suppose probably not no <laughs> no <laughs> I, honestly, I mean, because it's yeah, tough. Yeah. The 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 amount of, I think I personally am someone who doesn't shut off from work very well. I think about work all the time, and so I probably wouldn't have done it knowing what what I was. It's good you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because otherwise we wouldn't have created it, and I'm really pleased we have. But I think some of the time it takes away from my family and things like that. Yeah, you do have some some. Some hard, hard yards along the way to get there. Since that magical decade that the inner tube shop was first launched, Hunt Wheels is amongst the most respected and recognizable aftermarket wheel brands in road, gravel, and mountain bike. I personally own a set of their wheels and speak very highly of them from my own experience. I'm Wade Wallace, and I hope you enjoyed this edition of Overnight Success. I'd like to thank Red Bricks Media for producing this podcast, along with Ashley Denise for composing the music.